Hello everyone and welcome to the Modern Data Show and we are back with another insightful episode on all things data. Today we are thrilled to have Tejas Manohar, co-founder and co-CEO at Hightouch, which is a data activation platform that syncs data from sources to business applications and developer tools. This frees up engineering time for the data team and delivers actionable data directly to the business team ensuring data consistency across the organization. Prior to Hightouch, Tejas worked at Segment where he held several positions. He is a skilled engineer, manager and an entrepreneur with deep understanding of data integration and analytics. So welcome to the show Tejas. Thank you for having me. So Tejas, let's start with a, uh, you know, with a very quick background about yourself. Tell us the story. How did, how did you move to the US? How did your journey happen at Segment and what, what led to the birth of Hightouch? Yeah, for sure. So um, I was actually born in the US. So my parents actually uh, immigrated here from India um, while working as sort of IT technology consultants, uh, initially doing a bunch of government contracting for different state governments, um, you know, Florida, Michigan, eventually Tennessee, and decided to settle down there. Um, so that's where I was born and raised. Um, I got into programming. I, I was first, like my parents tried to introduce me into programming and technology at a young age, but I didn't have much interest in it. And I think they were very disappointed that it didn't click or I didn't get into it. Uh, but it wasn't until maybe fourth or fifth grade, actually, so pretty early still, that um, a family friend of ours uh, whose parents were also in a similar situation got really into programming games and developing games and little websites. And um, that's how I got into, uh, into coding through a friend, actually. It's much easier to get in when a friend introduces you than, um, you know, your parents. Uh, there's some rebellion, <laughs> rebellion, uh, rebellious nature when it comes to that. Um, so, yeah, I got into coding, like lots of different side projects um, from kind of a young age. Um, worked at some startups locally in Tennessee, as well as, um, you know, interned for some companies through my school years, like HubSpot, uh, right around the time of the IPO and, you know, other sort of marketing technology software. And eventually when it came time to look for a job, um, you know, Segment was a company that was really on my radar. I had used it at a, at a, a couple jobs as well as internships. Um, and I reached out to the founders to see if I could join, cause I was just a huge fan of the product. Um, so that's my kind of story uh, up until Segment. Amazing. And uh, uh, tell us a little bit about what what was your role at Segment? Yeah, for sure. So at Segment, I was an early engineer there, one of the first 10 engineers at the company. Um, and it's it's quite interesting. So it sort of leads into high touch <laughs> slowly but surely. Uh, at Segment, my first project was working on this product that they called uh, warehouses and cloud sources. So it was basically initially you know, this was at the time that Amazon Redshift was gaining some steam in the market and um, every company, you know, previously it was like very difficult to use data warehouses before Amazon Redshift was in the market. I mean, you had to manage your own servers. Um, there were like expensive technologies out there. You'd probably have like a team of DBAs to manage this stuff. And then Redshift came about and was like, oh, we can kind of manage a data warehouse for you in the cloud. And now Redshift is seen as a technology that's not so great, but back then it was the hot new kid on the block. Um, and basically, um, you know, with Amazon Redshift, like the question was, how do you get your data into this? Like, how do I get my data from Stripe? How do I get my event data from the website? How do I get my data into, um, you know, Redshift so that I can run queries and run analysis out of this fancy new data warehouse? And, um, you know, Segment was, I, you know, really specializing in the problem of helping companies collect their customer data. So we decided to put out a product in that space. And I think at some point, um, you know, Segment was the biggest writer to 
Amazon Redshift warehouses. We were writing to thousands and thousands of Amazon Redshift warehouses and you know, really tight with, with AWS as a result of that. Um, and over, you know, over that time, like the first, the first question was really, how do I get data into this data warehouse? But over the next four years that I was at Segment, I saw the way that companies looked at data warehouses just drastically change. So first, the question was like, how do I get data into there? And how do I build a BI culture and, you know, different solutions like Looker and, you know, Mode Analytics, Periscope, Sigma, all these different startups started rising up and bringing data to the people at companies, like not just people who can write SQL, but a bunch of different roles. Um, and by the time I, I left Segment, um, I started to see that, you know, the data warehouse was initially just a solution that people would use for advanced analytics, like when Adobe Analytics, what's called Omniture, or Google Analytics, or Panel or Amplitude couldn't answer their questions. They needed some extra power. They would reach out to the data warehouse and BI. By the time I left Segment, I, I realized that, you know, the data warehouse was the source of truth for everything around the company. Like everyone was looking at the data warehouse um, as their source of truth. Uh, and that's why I decided to found high touch actually. Okay. So, so then comes the point, you know, uh, tell us in the simplest word, what does high touch do? Yeah. So what high touch does is we help companies take data from all the systems where they have it. So these data warehouse systems like Snowflake or Google BigQuery or Amazon Redshift and bring it to the systems where business teams live. Um, so if you have a sales team working at working out of Salesforce and you know they can currently only see when's the last time they reached out to a contact or what's the email they sent or what sales stage are they in, and you want to equip that sales team with information like, hey, when's the last time did your customer you know log into the product? How many users did they invite to their workspace? How much billing consumption did they use in your app um, in the last 30 days? Um, high touch makes it really, 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 really easy to take that data from the warehouse and just ship it over to these, you know, downstream tools, whether it's something like Salesforce for sales teams, you know, Gainsight for customer success teams, Marketo, Braze, Salesforce marketing cloud, Facebook ads. We plug into like 200 plus systems and just make it really easy to get data from the warehouse into these systems. Right. And how did companies used to do these things before high touch or, or still if, if companies not using high touch, how are they doing it right now? Yeah, for sure. So basically what I'd say is like a lot of companies we see are something we call like data rich, but access poor. So tons of data in the company. That's not the problem. Um, they just don't have really good ways to access it and ship it to the right places. Um, so, you know, before high touch, we see a number of things. One, you know, a lot of times people are truly just shipping CSVs around. Like they're just, you know, sending a CSV of the, you know, users that match this criteria or, um, or a refresh of your full customer base or something like that to a sales team or marketing team so that they can upload it to their tools on a daily or weekly cadence. Um, a lot of other times, you know, teams get tired of those CSV uploads or need them to happen faster and end up, you know, tasking an engineering team to code some scripts or, you know, nightly or hourly data pipelines that, um, that just automate the, you know, these API calls. Um, but before high touch, you know, there wasn't really like a solution that made it so easy to take data from your existing systems, um, and ship it to all the places you need. Right. And is this what is called river CTL? Exactly. So it's a, it's a funny term. We, we sort of coined in the early days of high touch. Um, you know, everyone's familiar with ETL, putting data into the warehouse, uh, and we do the opposite. So reversing that process, taking data from the warehouse and bringing it to all the systems, uh, all the systems where people live. And it's quite funny, you know, in the early days, um, people, people were really opposed to the term. They'd be like, what? 
what is reverse ETL? It makes no sense. You know, ETL can be in both directions or why would I move data out of the warehouse? I just put all this effort to get it in there. It's super funny how um, the technical community kind of responded. But over time, it really picked up because I think it just became this obvious missing thing in the market. Yeah, and I think so, you know, I can, uh, you know, kind of dive deeper into and I would love to dive deeper in terms of how do you guys maintain those connectors and all those complexities around that. But before I get into that, let me take a little bit step back. Uh, first question that I have is, you know, when you started High Touch, right, uh, uh, you were probably one of the first people to do this, right? You know, as you said, you know, you were the one of the people who actually coined this term, you know, and kind of popularized it. Uh, how did you validate as a founder? How did you validate and what was your first moment where you thought, no shit, this is something that people really need. And this is not just something that is there in my mind. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Let me think back for a second. So I think we, when we were working at, you know, as with me and my co-founders, so there's three of us, um, you know, it took, uh, it's a funny story, you know, before we actually worked on high touch, we were working on some other startups, actually in the travel industry. COVID kind of took our whole startup journey by a turn and, you know, made us pivot and find something else. From the beginning, we- For good? For good, for good, for, good, for sure. Yeah, I would definitely not want to be working in the travel industry regardless of COVID. Um, but it's interesting. We, we took about six months to say, to hit what I would call product market fit. Um, but we really knew the pain was strong from the beginning. Like no matter if a company was using a solution like Segment, was super advanced, was super primitive, like, they were having trouble getting the right data to the right um, business teams in the end of the day. And the solution for what we were doing changed throughout the course of that six months, but the problem was the same. It's quite interesting. We got a few signals from customers while building you know, early versions of the high-touch products saying, I just have data in my warehouse, and you know, or I just have data in Looker or Tableau, and I want to get into Salesforce. And um, you know, we initially, we didn't think that was like a big enough problem <laughs> to build a company around, I think. Uh, especially coming from segment, you know, a lot of people think, oh, it must have been so obvious coming from segment. It's actually the opposite. I thought, you know, I thought maybe this is too small of a problem. Maybe we couldn't really focus on building a company around this because it seems like uh, it seems like something someone else would pursue. Um, but actually what I found was that um, there was a whole like persona that was being really underserved in the market and was becoming the center of the center of attention and the source of truth when it came to data. So segment and all the previous sort of solutions that helped you get data to your tools really focused on different personas like software engineers or the iPaaS space focused on like IT and how they can plug SaaS tools together. Uh, but really what I found is that there's whole communities of data teams, you know, data engineers, data analysts, analytics engineers, data scientists who are holding, you know, the golden key to the castle and the, 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 the full knowledge of the company in these data warehouse, data lake type systems. And that's becoming the center of the company. As a result, it kind of makes sense to build something that they can use um, on top of the platforms that are becoming the source of truth in the company. So once I realized um, how different of a persona that was, and they were just using totally different tools, looking at the problem in different ways, um, and would never really use a solution like Segment that you had to instrument on your website or your mobile app and do all this like SDK stuff. I realized, you know, there's actually an opportunity to build an independent company here because there's just like a massive wave happening in the industry. Right. And uh, you, 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 uh, you know, you just mentioned a very interesting thing is, you know, kind of uh, data warehouse becoming like a heart of the data teams. Right. And that wasn't the case up until a few years back, you know, data warehouse where 
still treated as a kind of a second class citizens you know and uh, exactly yeah and this is something that probably changed in past couple of years right you know with the evolution of the modern data stack and kind of a bunch of companies agreeing to the fact that data warehouse is indeed the heart of uh, uh, you know heart of the whole data ecosystem and data engineering tell me how did uh, uh, you know companies like dbt or you know uh, companies that truly you know kind of profess the uh, the data warehouse being the centerpiece of of this entire universe uh, how did that help you is is that something that you would kind of attribute to the success that you have seen with high touch so certainly i think there is a lot of market uh, tailwinds that really benefited high touch and gave us early growth um, and attention in the market you know early on we we found customers that were rallying around this idea of a modern data stack or were adopting Fivetran DBT and were bought into this vision of the data warehouse as the center of the company um, that that's, you know, started using high touch and really found the idea fascinating. You know, a lot of those Slack communities like the DBT community are locally optimistic were pretty pivotal to our early growth and maybe our first 20 or 30 customers. Now, like zooming fast forward, you know, it's a few years. I don't think it's like as big of a, uh, as, as a movement that we're riding or following, you know, we're really more just following companies that are investing a lot in Snowflake. And, you know, a lot of our largest customers don't really use other tools in the modern data stack other than high touch, um, funny enough. Um, but I would say more so than the modern data stack, what really, um, what really like made high touch, um, uh, positioned to, to be so timely was, um, this idea of actually like, yeah, ELT in particular. So I think the cloud data warehouse, you know, made it a lot easier to just say, okay, let's dump a bunch of data into the warehouse and then let's transform it and build these golden models in the data warehouse itself. Um, so that actually made uh, a unique set of data available to, in the data warehouse that wasn't anywhere else in the company. You know, people started using the data warehouse to build formulas like lifetime value, you know, churn risk models, all sorts of different things that just didn't exist anywhere else in the company. It wasn't just a place for ad hoc analysis. It was really a place to build these source of truth definitions about your customers, your company, et cetera. And DBT only catalyzed this and made it a lot easier. But that trend of ELT is actually what I think really made um, high touch uh, the right solution at the right time, because there's all these companies where the data warehouse was not just becoming the most comprehensive source of data. It's actually becoming a data silo, funny enough. Uh, because it had this unique information about your customers, about your product, about your business, about your financials that just didn't exist ever, anywhere else and obviously needed to be sent everywhere else. Um, so I would say that is the trend that we really rode at, at high touch more than anything else. Got it. And I think so, uh, you know, and this is something that I've also seen from my personal experience is, uh, you know, even before high touch, people were kind of sending data back to these CRMs and other systems, but they would probably do it. And, you know, I probably did it using those scripts. You know, I would just, you know, create a script that would wanna execute query on a data warehouse, collect the data, call the API, then publish it to, to, the, to those operational systems, right? Uh, one important thing uh, that we have seen in the, in the ETL industry is the maintainability of the connectors right and i think so that's the biggest challenge you know even if you look at the history of etl as a as a as a sector uh, you know you had those singer tabs that would allow you to color you know collect the data but they were not well maintained and you know that led to the birth of airbyte and so on and you know we know the history right how are you guys taking care of connecting maintaining those 200 odd connectors that you just mentioned yeah so you hit it on the you hit it on the nail there, right? I think 
uh, building connectors, building a one-off script, not that hard. Um, scaling those with new business requirements, maintaining them as, as the environment changes, the API changes, the data changes, as the schema changes, that's where the challenges um, really exist. Um, and yeah, internally, we've built a lot of functionality, I guess, like almost like a framework um, to make it easier to build these connectors and not just to build them, but to version them, to test them for things like speed as well as throughput um, to, you know, test how we handle different error conditions or, you know, weird data sets that we might operate on top of across all destinations. Um, so we basically build like a really interesting framework around this, um, both for, I would say, the um, ancillary concerns of building connectors, so testing it, measuring it, et cetera, um, as well as the operational concerns, so things like monitoring the connectors, how figuring out when there may have been an issue introduced um, or that comes up to an API change or something like that, as well as even developing and shipping the connectors. So um, things like, you know, audit, like having really good libraries to do things like retries or uh, diffing. So something really important in high touch is that, um, you know, a lot of people write connectors. It's like a simple loop over the data in the data warehouse you mentioned, and then, you know, send each row or send a batch of rows to to a downstream system like a Salesforce or Adobe or whatever it is. And um, we actually do it a bit differently. We actually have like automatic change data capture off the data warehouse. So only the new rows, change rows, removed rows would be sent to downstream systems. They'd be automatically batched up. If one row fails, we'll like pull it out of the batch and put it in a dead letter queue after retrying it a bunch. We have like a bunch of mechanics, I guess, that also make it a lot um, uh, simpler. So you don't have to implement these in one-off, one-off scripts, but what, right when we write a new connector, um, you get all of these things like out of the box. Um, you know, you mentioned something very interesting here is you have built a kind of a change data capture from these data warehouses that allows you to read those change events and then execute on the top of that. Does that mean you do not kind of create a workload on the data warehouse itself. That means you kind of, there is no additional cost of operating high touch on the top of your data warehouse, no complex queries or, uh, you know, those, those workloads are because all of these data warehouses are kind of compute based, right? You, you pay per compute. So does this mean high touch is not increasing the compute cost of my data warehouse? Uh, yeah, we do. So we do drive compute on the data warehouses and simply running a SQL query, you know, whether it's on a stream table from uh, Snowflake that shows the change data capture or whether we're building our own change data capture inside of your data warehouse, you know, with temp tables that we maintain, we sort of do this automatically and have a bunch of different modes. It does run compute in one way, shape or form on your data warehouse. But, um, you know, compared to all the other processes, it's not like high touch is driving up the compute like crazy on the data warehouse. And we've definitely put in a lot of work to, uh, to kind of make that process like efficient so it doesn't blow up our customers' bills. Amazing. And you just mentioned that, you know, you have also developed a framework internally to be able to build and maintain these connectors. Do you also plan to introduce or kind of release this framework to the community so that other people can also contribute the long tail of connectors that you probably aren't catering to right now? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, so we do have a public framework for building connectors. Um, so we have a whole custom destination framework online. It's not quite as sophisticated as what we have internally, but it does buy you a lot of the benefits that I mentioned, like, um, you know, automatically doing change data capture, you know, automatically doing things like batching, 
giving you giving you uh, you know frameworks and, and methods to um, send rows that you need to be retried in future syncs. So it does have those sorts of functionality built into it. Um, internally, you know, given that we all code in the same programming language and stuff like that, we've built more more stuff to make the integrations easier to build. But we do have a framework out there, and we are always looking for ways to make that better and better um, because it's something that's used quite heavily from our large clients. Amazing. And you, you know, you guys started off with reverse ETL, but I think so now you have two more suite of products. One is composable uh, CDP, and the other one is the personalization API, right? Uh, tell us the story behind these two products. And uh, does that mean, are you guys now kind of heads on competing with segment on this as well? Yeah, great question. Great question. It's a, it's a loaded question. Uh, so I think first and foremost, one of the most exciting parts about, you know, working on the reverse ETL product and working on a product that's so horizontal, right? You know, we integrate with 200 systems and we integrate with about a dozen different data warehouses as well as source systems. And Companies are using Hydish for all sorts of different purposes, right? Getting data to sales systems, getting data to marketing tools, running targeted advertisements off their data, powering ERP systems and like commission calculations and um, financial systems and all sorts of things. And what, what's really cool is that we get to see like, um, you know, how are people using their, their data to power their business operations? And we always try to learn more about not just what are people doing in the Hydish product, like, you know, what features they're using to sync data, but what are you doing before high touch and what are you doing after you put data into one of those systems? You know, what is the overall business problem you're trying to solve with our software? And that's been a big focus from the start. Um, just when we were three founders and as we scale the, the product team and the marketing team here, we've always laid an emphasis on really understanding our customers at that level. Um, so when we did look into our customers at that level, we actually learned that sometimes people are um, doing things that in, inside of reverse ETL where we can actually then, you know, go to take their specific use case and build a an application on top that streamlines that whole business problem of activating your data. So the customer studio is one example of this. Um, on top of reverse ETL, where you can paste a SQL query in or DBT model and you know sync fields from those into systems like Salesforce or Marketo or Braze. Uh, we've actually built this thing called Customer Studio. It was initially called Audiences. Um, that's like a full featured marketing app uh, where marketers can actually come into our app and do some reverse CPL. They don't call it that themselves. Um, and what that looks like is like, you know, they can build their own models by uh, or audiences in particular by filtering down a table. So if you, have, if you have a user's table, we've built a UI where marketers can come in and say, I want to find users who added something to their cart, but didn't check it out um, within, you know, a day. And I want to send those email, send emails to those customers and ads to those customers. And that right there is a data activation problem. But what we saw is that, you know, companies were having marketers ask data people to create one model on Monday, create another model on Tuesday, create another model on Wednesday, all slight variations of the previous ones. And just like have this back and forth, back and forth process in the company. And when we saw that happening so much for marketing and advertising tools, we thought, man, like, Marketers want to get their hands on this data directly. We've talked to them. We know that's a big, a, a big driver. Why don't we just build part of the like an additional layer in our platform where marketers can start using reverse ETL and data teams don't have to support them in other systems. You know, they can support them through the data warehouse and through the source of truth at the company. Um, so that's how we came up with uh, with the customer studio. When it comes to personalization API, it's interesting. It was kind of the same process. We saw companies syncing data to um, you know, databases like Redis or DynamoDB or Postgres or MySQL. 
from uh, from high touch. Um, so they were like, I want to take this data point like lifetime value or propensity to buy and sync it to one of my more transactional production databases. So we started reaching out to those customers and saying, you know, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing with with getting this data into a production database? And we learned a lot of them were trying to personalize their actual product or application experience and that there were even additional problems we could solve on top of you know, them trying to personalize their application experience. Because if you just put data in database, that's one thing, but then you have to build an API. Now, what happens if you want that API to be called from different regions, like you know, your media site and some people are reaching out to it from India, some people are reaching out to it from uh, Japan, some people are reaching out to it from the US, um, and you want it to return at really low latency. Um, so we, once we actually started talking to customers and figuring out what they're trying to do, we built a product around it called Personalization API, which gives you an API off your data warehouse that can do, do just that um, instantly. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, as a founder, this would have been a very challenging thing for you because uh, you shifted your go-to-market strategy from focusing on developers and data engineers to now marketers, and now you're talking about software developers. How did you manage this internally? It's a great question. It's a great question. So first and foremost, you know, we focus on uh, actually still the data team. So we st- we try to get into companies mostly via the data teams that are, um, you know, powering these processes or working with other teams on things like personalization or marketing or sales operations or stuff like that. We focus on that data team persona because you, you know you can't go to market with three, four, five personas. But we had to train our internal teams, you know, sales teams to to be able to speak to multiple stakeholders of the company. You know, not just to be able to speak to data people, but to be able to speak to marketers, marketing technologists, or you know, performance teams, or per, you know, product engineering teams. Because while data teams are involved in the process and can you bring us into it, saying, "Hey, this is a really novel solution to what we're trying to solve at our company," um, they're not the only person you need to talk to to get the deal done. And and to explain to the company as a whole, especially in larger companies like, you know, PetSmart or Warner Music or some of the Fortune 500 companies we work with, you have to talk to multiple stakeholders to actually get the deal done. Um, so, so yeah, it's it's definitely been a challenge. Uh, it really comes down to investing a lot in enablement and you know teaching the team the right messaging for talking to these people. But our focus on data teams has actually been um, you know key to our success as a company. Um, and we're just, we're making a big bet that uh, more people at the company are becoming data literate, as well as data teams themselves are interacting with more and more stakeholders and more and more processes of the company as the data warehouse becomes, you know, the best source of data in a company. Right. And with that, uh, you know, uh, where do you see the future of River CTL? And, you know, we have recently seen, you know, segment coming into this, you know, they they launched their own uh, kind of, uh, you know, reverse ETL platform within the segment platform. So where do you see reverse ETL going on from there? And what's your take on segment doing this? For sure. So fundamentally, uh, I'll, I'll answer the question with segment first. So fundamentally, um, you know, there are systems that really use the data warehouse as a source of truth. And there are systems that don't. Um, so like Segment, while and, and many companies in the sort of MarTech space, while they're adding in these connectors or integrations with things like the data warehouse, there are um, two things. One, you're creating a redundant copy of your data, not just in the data warehouse, but in Segment. Um, and then two, you're leaving a lot of the power of the data warehouse behind. So if you look at how we've built our product, um, both normal high-touch as well as customer studio, 
Um, we really understand that every business is different. Um, and, you know, this idea of a customer 360 or, you know, whatever people are talking about, single source of truth, it can't just be boiled down into like users and event data, which is really what customer data platforms like Segment focus on. Like they really just focus on, tell us about your users, tell us about actions they're taking. But, you know, every business is different. Ticketing sites have artists and tickets. Um, retail companies have, you know, products and inventory. One of our customers, PetSmart, has an idea of pets and a, the customer's actual pets that they need to track in their loyalty programs. Or a bank has the idea of a bank account. So there's all these re related objects that really are important to build out this idea of like a customer 360. And High Touch has the ability to tap into all of those in your source systems and to write to any objects in the downstream systems too, just making it the most like complete platform and then being built natively on the data warehouse as well. You know, you can use it instantly. Um, you don't have to have like a huge, you know, million dollar contract to get started with something like High Touch. We allow you to connect your data warehouse, connect it to downstream systems and just start chipping away to solving use cases at your business, uh, which is really, really powerful. Plus the costs are way cheaper given that we're not running two data warehouses, one for ourselves and one for you. We're really leveraging the system you're already, you've already invested in as a company. Yeah. And and your thoughts on the future of River CTL. Where do you think this 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 segment would go from here? So basically two things. I think one, um, River CTL, uh, it is a platform for the data team at the end of the day. And we're actually, uh, you know, causing this change in the way data teams uh, work in the business. You know, data teams previously used to answer questions, build reports, stuff like that. Now we're actually allowing the data team to build real operational, automatic, live business processes that that power the business. So things like, you know, powering targeted advertising off the data in your data warehouse, or, you know, routing sale, your whole team of salespeople to the right customers and the right leads and helping them prioritize their day based on the data in the data warehouse. And when you do that, um, you know, you need to make sure these pipelines are extremely reliable and are things that you would depend on as a business. And when you think about software engineers, when they're building product and production applications, um, they have a bunch of concerns when it comes to building applications that are super reliable and you would rely on for your entire business. They do things like version control their applications, do things like have really strong observability and alerting when things are going wrong. When things do go wrong, they can see exactly what's going wrong with debug logs and metrics and traces. And there's just basically all these concerns that, um, you know, CI is another one that software engineers have that data teams often don't have. Um, so when it comes to like making the reverse scale platform better, um, not only are we making it more scalable, more integrations, easier to use, but we're bringing all these software engineering concerns to the data world and making those really easy so that data teams can make their pipelines extremely reliable and avoid uh, mistakes um, or uh, mishaps or catch problems as soon as they happen um, in these data pipelines as they're powering more critical business processes. Now, in addition to just making the reverse detail product that exists today uh, really, really good, um, I think what's interesting in the space is making um, you know, the idea of activating your data, A, more self-service, and B, easier for certain popular use cases. So. As I mentioned earlier, in addition to reverse ETL, we've actually shipped um, a product called Customer Studio, which allows marketers to come in and build their own audiences, sync them to different places like ad networks and marketing tools, run analytics, run A-B tests, all on top of the data in the data warehouse. 
And that um, idea is that, you know, data activation shouldn't just be for the data team. The data team should be able to define the data that matters and other business teams should be able to come in and get their jobs done as well. Um, personalization API is, is different, but a similar concept. You know, we saw so many companies building their own APIs off the data where us, and we just made that process a lot easier and handle the end concerns that you'd have as you're scaling those APIs and making them more powerful. So I think really what's exciting is building additional functionality on top of reverse ETL um, that makes it you know, easier to satisfy certain use cases and easier for more people around the company, whether they're in RevOps or finance or marketing or advertising to come in and leverage all the wealth of data you have in the data warehouse to get their jobs done. Basically, dive, you know, going deeper into the value chain, right? That's, that's what... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Correct. So, you know, as we inch closer to the end of the episode, uh, Tejas, uh, I have one question as a founder to another founder uh, is we have seen a kind of a Cambodian explosion of tools that are coming out of modern data stack. And, you know, in the past year or so, we have seen a lot of correction in that. We have seen a lot of consolidation. We have seen a lot of hype tools kind of fading away. And it's it's a natural correction that is happening in the industry, in the market itself. What would be your advice uh, to another founder who is building something in the data space in terms of how can they ensure that they don't have a technology that is looking for a solution versus a solution that can be solved using technology? What would be your advice for that? That's a fantastic question. Um, I think a couple things. I think a couple things. So uh, one, really understand the business problem and make sure this is something that everyone you know deeply cares about and really deeply provides value. There are you know things you could probably sell to data teams, but you need to make sure they're not just exciting for data teams and little tools or, or widgets. This is something that solves a you know, first-class problem in the business. Um, and as I mentioned, like we, we really had this mindset from the beginning of Hightouch. We didn't just see it as syncing fields from the warehouse into different systems. We saw it as sales teams are you know, working all day trying to make revenue, but they're not routing their time properly because they're not empowered with all the data and intelligence you have in these data warehouses. Marketing teams are spending millions and tens of millions of dollars on things and uh, on advertisements or you know, email campaigns. And that, that money and that effort is not being, you know, uh, is not sending the best emails, the best communications to customers and driving the most uh, efficacy and revenue ultimately because they're not using data effectively enough. So, First, just un make sure you understand the real business problem that's being solved versus just building um, data tools for the sake of data tools is something I would really emphasize. Um, and then two, you know, make sure that problem problem is, 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 is big enough, right? So again, like it took a while for us to find the right solution at high touch. So finding that product market fit means you have the right product solution that the market wants as well um, and, and to eventually land on reverse ETL. Um, that being said, from the beginning, we knew that the problem of activating data was, was rampant in businesses. And that was a problem that uh, was going to be disrupted and solved over the next 10 years, whether it was Hightouch or another company. So I would say for, you know, my advice to you, to all founders is to A, like focus more on the actual problem you're solving in businesses, not just the, the data tool problem. Um, and then, you know, you can market the data tool, but just, just, just make sure you have an understanding of where it actually fits in. And then B, make sure that business problem is, is, is frankly large enough and a, a first class priority, especially um, in an environment uh, like this where people are not looking to, to buy tools left and right.
that was an amazing advice so thank you so much for your time uh just today that was an amazing episode we learned a lot of things and we're looking forward to a lot of next set of amazing things that are coming out of high touch so thank you so much for your time thank you i really appreciate it